0: I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, we buy shit we don't need. Ideas are worthless. If you had one shot,
1: everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now your fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. In this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show.
0: One of the things that is the hallmark of Adlerian psychology is this idea of the courage to be disliked and the courage to be
1: hated on. This episode of the Biohacking Secret Show is brought to you by Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products. CBD standing for cannabidiol. Now, we are real excited about this partnership because Veritas means truth in Latin, and we are big believers in bringing you guys the truth, not just through this podcast, but by making sure that any products that we share or that we bring on as sponsors are products that we personally use, believe in, and endorse ourselves. And that is the case with Veritas Farms and their full line of CBD products. The reason that they're so great, They are full spectrum hemp products, meaning that they have all of the beneficial phytonutrients that you get in a quality CBD product. 99% of the CBD products on the market are CBD isolate and they're just being resold, meaning they're coming from a few small manufacturers. They've only got one tiny part of all of the important phytonutrients that you need to get the benefits you want from a CBD product and they're just a bunch of different companies reselling them. Veritas Farms is vertically integrated, meaning they they own the farm. They ensure that there are no pesticides being added. It's organic and then they control the entire process from harvesting to extraction until that product ends up at your door. That's what I love it. It's kind of like farm to table, but for CBD. And the benefits that I've noticed my sleep is better. I feel like I get a deeper, more restful night's sleep. I'm less stressed. I never have periods of anxiety. I feel calm and focused throughout the day. And it even decreases inflammation when I have flights or other things where inflammation is an inevitable part of life. You take a little extra CBD and it can be very helpful for stress, anxiety, sleep, and that inflammation. So if you guys wanna check it out, we've arranged a 15% discount for you guys. To get that, you can go to theveritasfarms.com forward slash biohacks, I'll spell it out, T-H-E-V-E-R-I-T-A-S-F-A-R-M-S.com forward slash B-I-O-H-A-C-K-S to save 15%. Check out the Veritas Farms CBD. You guys are gonna absolutely love it. more people. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Biohacking Secrets Show. What's up, biohackers? I'm here with Dr. Jade Teta, and we wanted to cut you guys in on this conversation right away because he was (laughs) dropping some wisdom about his experience going with a big publishing deal, what he liked about it, what he wasn't crazy about, what he would do different next time. And I know a lot of you guys have a book in you. Some of you have already released that book. Some of you guys are still working on it. Some of you guys may decide you never want to put it out there, but I thought this was a conversation you'd like to drop in on. Quick background on Jade. He's an integrative physician, author, and sought-after expert in the realm of metabolism and self-development. He spent the last 25 years immersed in the study of strength and conditioning, hormonal metabolism, and the psychology of change and success. And we're going to be talking about whether or not metabolic damage, i.e. damaging your metabolism, is even a real thing. But first, Dr. Taito, welcome to the show. Anthony, thanks for your work, brother. It's good to be here, man. How are you? Thanks for your work. I'm excited for us to chat, man. So tell me a little bit about, before we get into metabolic damage and and some of the nitty-gritty of where your expertise lies... I was, you you piqued my interest discussing your experience (laughs) with a big publishing deal. Cause right now I'm on the fence about whether or not that's a a path that I want to pursue with my next book. And I would love to hear what, what your experience was like.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I think all of us, I mean, I know there's a lot of professionals that listen to your podcast. I think all of us, right. We kind of have this, uh, there's this natural inherent sort of conflict between marketing and our true message. Right. And so we want to put our message out there, but we also know we have to market it. And so I think this is the first place that I ran into with dealing with, you know, I got a, a pretty as a first time author back in 2010, I got a pretty big deal from my book called Met the Metabolic Effect Diet. They at one point wanted to call that the sexy me diet. Right. Now, look sexy, at me, man. I'm the sexy, sexy me diet. Right. So me and my brother, he's sounds two like bigs, a right
1: said Fred track.
0: I know man so you know here we are Look, we're like hey do you guys are you even looking at us like I'm this big bald mean looking (laughs) dude who lifts weights my brother and I are serious fitness people and we're like you're gonna call our book The Sexy Me Diet there's nothing sexy about us you know so we fought with them very hard to get that changed we you know to me the metabolic effect diet and I'll tell you guys a story because it's funny the metabolic effect was the name of the book then they changed it to the sexy me diet, we fought like crazy. They ended up being called the new me diet. What's interesting is we, we were, we're like, me and my brother are both sort of, you know, laid back guys and sort of like these people who are like, we don't know what we don't know. Let the experts in books do their thing. Right. And, but it turned out we were right. Our actual agent and the publisher later said, when we released the paperback, we're going to release it under the name that you originally wanted, the metabolic effect diet. Now, that was HarperCollins. Moved to Rodale, we, we sold the second book, which was supposed to be like, you know, the Metabolic Detective or ME 2.0 or whatever we were going to call it. but something with metabolism in it because that's what we do. Right. And they called it Lose Weight Here. And we fought that, but weren't able to sort of overcome the publishing. And so what I was telling Anthony, for those of you who were just jumping in, just before we jumped on this call, is that based on my experience in that world, I think it was good to sort of do a major publishing um, agreement at first. It's hard to do obviously, Um, but now I'm to the point where I kind of want to self publish because I want full control of my work. I think what has happened to me is in the marketing world, I sell online DVDs as well and have an online publisher. And any of you who have seen some of my work outside of sort of the professional discussions, would immediately have an eyebrow raised towards my work. I'm kind of embarrassed about the marketing even because it goes to these extreme sort of places sometimes that we can't always control once we sell our stuff. So I guess this is probably where the term selling out comes from, right? You know, so we (laughs) we all hear this in music and we hear it with actors and actresses and I'm just like, you know what? I don't want to quote sell out anymore. I want to keep my messaging clear, but I do think the final thing I'll say about that is I do think it's, For those of us who are thinking about releasing books and stuff, I do think in the beginning to get your platform, it's probably a good idea if you can get published. Get published because they will definitely get your book in a lot of places you couldn't yourself. But then once you have a platform, which you obviously do, and so do I, I think it's probably better just to self-publish. Because you can always go back the other way if that book takes off. You can always go, hey, look at my proven sales now I want you to publish this under its name, under the way it's written, without your hands in it, and that's kind of where I've been. So I've been—I've had a tough time managing this marketing world versus my my true message world, and I think it's uh, damaged some of my reputation to some degree. But more importantly, it's not really about reputation, right? It's more about like what you feel as a creator and the work that you're putting out and how happy you are with it and so i'm less happy with that other work because i think it's been tainted a little bit with the marketing spin and a more universal uh sort of message when my message is more nuanced and gray so i don't know if that makes sense to you you have follow-up questions with that but that's kind of where i am right now with that it's sort of a a journey that i've taken over the last you know 10-15 years and i'm pretty solid on now the direction i
1: want to go it took me a while to figure it out it does make sense and and the follow-up question or questions that i have so looking at what you know now about negotiating contracts with big publishing houses and what's possible uh, yeah. Is there something that you would have done different during that negotiation, whether it comes to your advance, whether it comes to what's expected of you in terms of running Facebook ads to sell your book, how much you're supposed yeah. to spend of that advance, whether it's the amount of time that you're allotted to write it, whether it's creative freedom and final final say so, what change, what would you have done differently?
0: Yeah, the two big things, man, two things I caution everyone against. Number one, make sure you fight for um, the actual title that you feel comfortable with. Now, of course, they know how to sell books, but still, if it feels wrong, it probably is wrong. It needs to be something you can own. Think about me 10 years later telling people I wrote a book called Boo's Weight Here. It doesn't make me feel great. It almost is embarrassing when I say it's kind of cringeworthy to me in some ways. But so when you're thinking about the title, whatever they offer, just say, "What is? Am I going to be happy with the title ten years from now?" And fight for it because, of course, in the beginning. You're in, you're in charge, especially if you have a big platform, because that's what the agents and publishers are looking for. If you have a big platform on any of the social media sites, you get lots of podcast listens, things like that. They're going to take you seriously. They want your listenership. You have power. So that's the first thing I would have done
1: differently. For, for someone listening who's wondering if they have enough, if they've got a big enough following, what do you consider the type of following that publishers are looking for in terms of quantity and per platform.
0: Yeah, actually I can answer this pretty clearly because my agent who's one of the best agents in this industry, Celeste fine talks about this all the time. She, she sort of says if someone has, you know, a big following, it's going to be, you know, in the 50,000 range on Facebook, probably in the 20,000 range on Instagram, at least and a pretty big email list near the hundreds of thousands of people. And that's a moving target, you know, so she would have said less previously, but that platform is pretty big. And, you know, I would say tens of thousands of listens, you know, per month on a podcast, right? Where it's like people are, you know, paying attention to you. So she's pretty clear on this and those targets are moving. And when you pitch your book to a publisher, you know, really what you're doing is pitching to an agent first because you kind of want that agent. They're going to work for you. They get paid if you get paid. So when you're pitching your book to an agent, they're going to want to see what your platform is. And in and, and reality, Anthony, they want they want to see platform. They want to see that you have followers more than they want to see your idea. A lot of us go, oh, I've got a great idea. They go, you know what? We see great ideas all of the time. It's, can you actually help us move this book? So it's their their platform first, idea second. All of us, right, because we're creators, we're like, oh, idea first, platform second, not the publishers and not the agents. They want to see that you've got a big platform. And so those numbers matter. And they also want to see engagement. So I think just be careful about, you know, trying to, bot your way or buy your way to, you know, uh, sort of engagement on Instagram and stuff like that. That stuff can be tough because using bots and using buys doesn't always get you good engagement, right? You see,
1: I think that's, that's important. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's fantastic advice, man, far more specific than I expected. But that's exactly what I yeah. was hoping for. And you do yeah. see that all the time on Instagram, like 250,000 followers, and a picture that's been up for a few weeks has like 300 likes. Yep.
0: Yep. And, and, you know, we all, we all can see it. And of course it is like one big high school, right? It's like, you know, is this person popular or not? And should I follow him? It works to some degree, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff and they will look at stuff like that. So you can't really fool, um, you know, sort of the agents and the publishers. And by the way, you wouldn't want to anyway, because if you're actually going to get real sales, um, you need a following. They do nothing but give you distribution. They really don't give sales anymore. And that's one thing to understand. Going with a publisher, they help you with distribution. They do not help you with sales. They now expect you to do that. They just allow it, you know, allow you the ability to, you know, get your book out there quicker. You know, and I guess that brings me into the second thing I would say. The second thing I would say that I would do different is back when I first started this, I put a lot of money into PR firms and stuff like that, trying to get on the doctors and you know, doctor Oz and all this kind of stuff. And I've watched my colleagues who have been pretty successful in doing that and seen that my stuff has sold better than theirs, even though they've been on some of these big shows. So what I would put my effort into now is not trying to get a big PR firm to do traditional PR. But instead, based on what Anthony said, I'd be putting money into my own Facebook ads, my own Instagram ads, my own um, sort of infrastructure where I'd set up a program that goes along with the book. So I can grab those emails and sell to those people because the book, you make some money off of that. But if you go with a publisher, you make very little where you're going to make money is off the programs that are associated with the book. And so to me, have the infrastructure ready, right? Don't spend a bunch of your money on PR. That's not going to get you anything. So what if you show up? How many times have we seen someone on Dr. Oz? Probably none of us even watch Dr. Oz, by the way, I certainly don't. But if you see someone on Dr. Oz, how often are you going to go and be like, Oh, let me go check out their website. You're just not going to do that. Right. And so to me, skip that stuff, take the $30,000, $40,000 that you'd be spending on PR, put it into your own ad campaign and build a program that goes along with the book. So when someone reads that book and gets excited about you, you can filter them into your program and that's
1: where you make your money. That's, that's awesome advice. Jade, I'm curious, yeah. do you run your own Facebook ads or do you work with someone or an agency and you kind of direct them on what you want, but they do it. Both. Both.
0: I have a one company that I work with that bought my company. I, I used to run a company called metabolic effect for those who, who know me, for those who don't, it was a health and fitness company. I sold to another company called metabolic living who they have their own ad campaign however i also have jade which i run my own ads on facebook and stuff like that and just to kind of give you a heads up on that um, for those of you who are working with a brand some of you have a brand right some of you your brand is you as an individual my whole take on that is that you kind of really want to build both um so i do have a couple brands next level human is a brand of mine That's a business. Metabolic Living is a brand of mine, and Jade Tita is a brand of mine. And what I really do now to keep things simple is I basically – people know me by my name. So Jade Tita, basically I run everything through that primarily, and I do that myself. And then my other companies um, where I have partners and stuff like that, we usually farm that stuff out to different agencies and things like that. But I do think in the beginning – if you're going to really do the business that we're in and you're going to be a true internet entrepreneur and be pushing your, your message, you want to learn this business to a degree. It's funny. I've actually started teaching this stuff as well to you know um, people just like us. I'm doing a live event in um, Los Angeles in a couple of weeks just because people are not really savvy to this way of doing business because they're used to doing brick and mortar stuff, or they're used to sort of, oh, I'm a blogger, I'm a podcaster or whatever. And they don't necessarily know that There's a lot of ways to make money once you have that following, just with a few key steps that you can do all by yourself. Um, You know, it's funny, my team right now with JATita.com is me and my sister, who's my assistant. That's it, two people, not a whole lot of, now in these other companies, it's huge, right? There's like hundreds of people in there that are getting paid, but with JATita.com. And what that does is that gives me the ability to pivot right? To, to basically be like, well, I know that com is always going to be there. If this other brand goes away, I still got Jtita, and people are always going to know me as Jtita. And so that's kind of how I look at that.
1: That's pretty wise. So you're, you're diversifying, not just industries, but brands and you're building a a number of separate brands that all stand independent of one another. And then you've got a mix of diversified traffic sources, ranging from organic to paid that you run and then paid that you outsource. Absolutely. That's exactly, exactly how I'm doing it. Yep. All right. Pretty cool, man. Well, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Hopefully the the entrepreneurs and people that are into the business stuff also like nerding out on (laughs) that as much as I did. Let's take things back to your experiences in the health space. You mentioned in your bio, you've been called a quack. You've been called a witch doctor. How does, how does someone, what type of behavior precedes someone being called a quack? (laughs) Yeah,
0: you know it's funny. You know what? You know why you get called a quack and a witch doctor. You get called that when you follow your own path. When you move away from convention, and um, I don't know how how well how much you guys read psychology and philosophy, but I'm pretty steep in that stuff. And Adlerian psychology is, you know, the the three big, huge guys in psychology were Freud, Young, and Adler. Not a lot of people know Adler. We've all heard of Freud and Young. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that is the hallmark of Adlerian psychology is this idea of the courage to be disliked, and the courage to be hated on. And this idea of having a thick skin and not really caring so much what people think, and in fact, using that to your advantage. And so, Call me weird, but being called those things, I know it's probably weird. This is absolutely the truth. I actually take them as a sign of a compliment almost because what it means is when I'm being called those things, what it means is that I'm not doing what everyone else is doing. And as much as someone might be thinking, you know, this guy is off his rocker or whatever, other people are like, I really dig this and this can help me. And so to me, I've always seen that as a reflection of the other person and their their inability to have an imagination and be, um, you know, sort of stuck in convention. And so I've never really looked at it, you know, necessarily as a bad thing, even though I know some people that can crush them because I just I know who I am. I know what my expertise is. I know what I know and I know what I don't know. And I'm confident in that. And that confidence has been built. Over time, And I guess I would say everyone's going to be called that at a time if they break from convention. Now, keep this in mind. Right. It was completely on purpose when I was when I went to naturopathic medical school, which is probably, again, talking marketing, the worst marketing mistake in the world was ever calling that profession naturopathic medicine because it's just an odd name. But I knew going into that um, that it was going to be controversial. And at that time, alternative medicine was not uh, popular. So then you got to go back. This is back in 1997, right, where doing that was considered. Like now everyone goes, oh, I know what that is. They didn't even know what that was back then. And so that's what happens. You're going to be called things. You're going to be hated on. You're going to be you know, um, looked at funny whenever you break out and do your own thing. Now, I, I think now that people follow me, they know I'm very science-based. I merge uh, I'm very conventionally minded. So what happens to me, Anthony, and I, it may happen to you, I don't know, but here's what happens to me. People in the alternative natural medicine world can't stand me because they say I'm too conventional. And people in the conventional world can't stand me because they say I'm too alternative. And I like being in the gray zone because to You're me... Middle child. that child. Yeah, you know what I mean? And to me, black and white thinking is, is not where we are. The world is gray. And so I, I am science-based but I'm also not without imagination. This, this thing that we all do is both art and science. And anyone who says differently doesn't understand it.
1: For sure. When you mentioned the word convention a few times, going against convention, when it comes to health and wellness or, or medicine, define convention. What, what was it that you were moving away from that you didn't resonate with?
0: Yeah, well, very simply. Um, so, 25 years in the health and fitness world as a personal trainer, I I did the gamut like a lot of you. Yeah, you know, I was the I I was like everything's calories in, calories out. You know, I was like uh, you know if you're not if you're not getting results, you're just lazy and a, you know a glutton. Mm-hmm. And what I saw is that this stuff just failed. If you're honest, calories in, calories out works for the the super fit you know lean fitness models and dudes like me at the time who were just hardcore into fitness it did not work for the vast majority of my clients who were coming in off the street they would get some results for 12 weeks and then that I would make them fatter they would get they would come in fat get lean and then they would leave even you know I would see them later and they would be even fatter than they were so to me I just looked at that just with a common sense it was like something is wrong with this model. And so convention to me is, in our world, is essentially, for lack of a better term, eat less, exercise more. That is convention. That model absolutely fails 95% of the time. We know this and research has shown this. So I'm a science-based guy. There is no doubt this shit does not work. Sorry, it does not for the average person. So that's convention. Now that's not to say that calories don't matter but they matter differently
1: but go ahead so when you're saying eat less exercise more fails 95% of the time we're talking about lasting results right that's yep absolutely we you know over what time frame we're talking is that like losing the weight and keeping it off for a year is it yep 5 years what are we talking here
0: Yeah, so they define success in the research. They define success as losing 10% of your weight and keeping it off over the year, right? So in order to be defined as successful in most diet studies, you have to lose 10% of your weight. And remember, they don't really make a distinction between body fat and body weight in most of these studies. And you need to maintain that for over a year, So what we know is that about 95% of people either can't do the diet, never lose the weight to begin with, and or they lose the 10% and gain back the weight within the year, okay? So only about 5% of individuals lose 10% of their weight and maintain it over a year. And that goes down even further at year two and year three. By the way, 66% end up fatter as a result of doing the diet. So here's the thing, right? Let, let's say that, I don't know, let's say in any other model in any other industry with a track record that poor, it would have been thrown out long ago because we would have just said it does not work. But, it, but the eat less, exercise more model is alluring because it, um, it works in the short run. Anyone can lose weight for over a 12-week period, and everyone's like, oh, wow, look what they did. And then you see them a year later, and something's wrong. So what we now know is that dieting does something to our physiology that makes it far more likely we will gain that weight back and makes it harder to lose weight at future times. So a lot of people can remember a time where they just didn't give a shit about working out and exercising, just worked out, ate what they wanted, and stayed lean, and then they went on their first diet, and next thing you know, their metabolism has not been the same since. Now, we all sort of know this. So to my, so when you talk about Jade, what is convention? I say, well, that's convention. And there's obviously some truth to it. That's convention. And there's obviously some truth to it. But um, it is uh, not a, a model that works over the long run. So I would say this, a perfect diet or a perfect exercise program or a perfect plan that does not work over the long run is not a perfect diet, a perfect exercise program, or a perfect plan. It's a short-term fix at most, and it's a broken model at worst.
1: Yeah, a diet and exercise plan, even combining those two, and if even if they're both great, you're saying it's not enough in 95% of the cases to work. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. And
0: I'm also saying this now, just because we say it doesn't work does not mean there's not a lot of truth in that. And this is where people want to go black and white. So they go, here's what we do, right? This This is what we do. We go, well, it doesn't work. Research says it doesn't work. So let's just make stuff up. Let's just start, you know, doing juice fasts and eating these random diets, and like, they just start making stuff up out of thin air, which have no basis in scientific method or a clinical experience at all. Yeah. And so people go all the way over to the other side and then it's just all this random nonsense. There is a middle ground and the middle ground is essentially say, well, calories obviously matter. We know that from science, we know that that's important. Then the question is, well, if what we're doing doesn't allow for a sustained calorie deficit, What do we have to do to create a sustained calorie deficit? And my answer to that is, we need to do things that control hunger, that balance energy, that manage cravings, so that what we're doing can be done over the long run. Because the eat less, exercise more approach by its very nature in most, but not all people, leads to increased hunger, leads to unpredictable and unstable energy, leads to insatiable cravings, and now we know leads to a metabolic decline that makes it very difficult to maintain a calorie deficit in the first place. So instead of throwing out the baby with the bathwater and saying calories don't matter, it's all hormones, why, why do we do that? Why can't we just say, you know what, we should be looking after hormones as well. And by the way, when I say hormones, I'm not talking testosterone and estrogen and progesterone and insulin so much as I'm talking about the hunger hormones like CCK and GLP and GIP1 and all these things that keep us satisfied and also managing things like cortisol, which we know lowers the motivation centers in the brain and stimulates the reward centers in the brain. So all of a sudden we can take that calorie approach and say, okay, let's put the hormonal approach, the quality approach, the lifestyle approach on top of that. And maybe we can make more of a difference instead of going to these nonsense fat diets and ridiculous making stuff up. So both
1: can, can be used is what I'm saying you hit something huge there by mentioning cortisol. We're talking about the stress hormone here and chronically elevated levels of it. You're going to also get decreased insulin sensitivity. So your Absolutely. body's going to have a difficult time converting a lot of that food to fuel. It'll be an inefficient process. We see so many people stressed as fuck walking around, you know, on on the edge of adrenal burnout. So, It is critical to figure out, is our cortisol rhythm off because our lifestyle is too stressful? Are we in a toxic relationship? Are we doing CrossFit seven days a week? And, you know, fueling that workout on a ton of coffee, like all these things can throw off our hormones and then throw off our metabolism and make it feel like no matter how hard we diet or how much we exercise, it's not going to work. Cause like our body's hormonally off, right. And toxic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
0: couldn't agree with
1: you more. And here's, here's one thing I say, I mean,
0: I, I love the stuff you do in the biohacking world and things like that. And one of the things that you'll, you, um, <laughs> you will always hear, right. is people will jump on a single mechanism, Oh my God, wow. insulin, right? Once you learn, once people, I always laugh. No, it's, it's not. Funny because once, no, it's yeah, Exactly, <laughs> exactly. They start pointing at these single hormones, which never works because the hormones work like people, like they, they socialize like people do, right? So insulin in the context of high cortisol and low HGH and low testosterone is a fat storing hormone. However, insulin in the context of high human growth hormone low cortisol levels, a balanced calorie load is a hunger suppressing hormone and a muscle building hormone. So insulin is not a bad guy, it's the context and the social environment that it's around, what other hormones are around with it. So when people first learn the mechanism of insulin is sort of a storage and locking hormone, they forget that there's 10 other mechanisms, one being the cortisol mechanism. You can cortisol, you can eat your way into insulin resistance, Right? Or you can stress your way into insulin resistance. And if you cut carbohydrates too low, then you can actually raise cortisol levels, which will disrupt insulin receptors, causing insulin resistance. And so every time you run into a mechanism that you think solves the world's problems and weight loss, you have to remember the body is redundant. The metabolism has multiple mechanisms. There's 10 you don't even know about yet. <laughs>
1: That's a good point. It is, it is important to stay humble and keep perspective on the fact that at every point in history, we thought we had shit figured out. And similarly, at every point in history, when we look back on where they thought they had shit figured out, we laugh at how much they didn't have. But when we're there, like right now, we think we got it figured out.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, I I read a ton of philosophy and my boy Socrates. I mean, everyone knows the name Socrates, but they don't always know what he stood for. Well, the Oracle of Delphi, basically. The Oracle of Delphi said, hey, Socrates is the wisest person in the world. And when he heard this, he goes, surely that's not true, because he was a very humble man. Then he went around and talked to all these wise people. And he came away and he goes, wow, I really am the wisest person in the world because I'm the only one who says I don't know anything. And that's the thing that, that sets Socrates apart and sets good practitioners apart when they just go, you know, I think that makes sense, but I better keep my mind open because there's so much more that I don't know. I just know a fraction of metabolism. I don't know a whole lot. So we can't get caught up on this mechanism. I call it mechanism chasing, where a lot of people are just like, they learn a new biochemical mechanism, yes. and then they cannot get their head out of that and realize that you honestly are just learning the tip of the iceberg in metabolism. It is not all insulin. It is not all calories. It is both, and it's a whole lot more.
1: Yes. Yes. Oh, it's it's a fascinating world we've created <laughs> it really is. <laughs> you you mentioned three things before, control hunger, was it balance energy and manage mm-hmm. cravings? Yeah. Let, let's go through those one by one and you know, if you're up for it, share your number one health hack, biohack, whatever you want to call it yeah. um for let's say controlling hunger
0: yeah well first let's distinguish hunger from cravings right so hunger is a feeling of fullness in the gut and or a feeling of emptiness in the gut when you're not hungry you're going to feel full in the gut we all know what that feels like you can be busting at the seams and you're like wow i'm full or i'm very empty there's almost like a gnawing sensation exactly (laughs) so that's hunger now how do we manage hunger um, we manage hunger. This is very clearly laid out in the science. It's one of the few areas that we know how to manage hunger. And it comes down to the acronym PFW, protein, fiber, water, protein, fiber, water, protein, fiber, water-rich foods. When we look at macronutrient content right now, again, you know, this is what's a problem with reading popular books and following popular gurus and things like that. They're not always up on the science. Fat is not the most satiating macronutrient. Protein is. In fact, most research suggests fat is the least satiating macronutrient. This is very clearly defined in the research, but we get confused because when you combine fat and protein, that's even more satiating than protein by itself. And so we and have to be careful here. A
1: whole bag of macadamia nuts straight through? It's,
0: absolutely but try it yes it absolutely is it
1: absolutely is i never <laughs> so feel full I, i'm like i shouldn't yeah. go to trader joe's and get another one of those should i
0: <laughs> and and so can i this is why if you sit down with uh you know two avocados and two chicken breasts you'll be able to crush through that guacamole pretty quick those chicken breasts you're going to eat that and not feel like eating for six hours the same reason why you can eat seven donuts which are 250 calories but if you try to eat seven chicken breasts, which are also 250 calories, you're not going to be able to do it because protein is so satiating, right? So I always oftentimes use the donut and the chicken breast because they're both 250, 300 calories. You can eat five donuts. You cannot eat five chicken breasts. And so there's something about protein that makes a big difference. It is the most satiating macronutrient. It fills you up the fastest. Fat,
1: not so much unless it's combined with protein. That does make sense. There's also something to be said for the the fat flavors and the sweet flavors that kind of send our brain's reward centers crazy. You don't really get those with chicken breasts or grass-fed beef or wild-caught salmon. It's good, you know, you throw some you throw some proper seasonings or marinades or whatever on there, it's going to be real nice, but it's not like eating a dessert or even a banana, you know, and it's not like some of the, you know, like a fat bomb and some of what that does for our brain. So you eat less. Yep, absolutely. And it's, it's the simplest thing we
0: can do. Here's the problem though. Right. And this goes to the craving component. So yeah, we might be filled up, but we still, we might be full, but we're not dessert full. And this is what's sort of getting you. We still want to taste of something sometimes, and that is not hunger. That's cravings. Boredom eating is cravings. Uh, needing a taste of a flavor is a craving. Feeling like there's something left where the dessert comes and you're like, "Oh, I can make a bunch of room." That's cravings, and that's slightly munchies. different. The munchies, absolutely. <laughs> that that's cravings, and that is highly associated with stress. And so, PFW protein, fiber, water for hunger. For cravings, it's really about stress management and lowering stress and doing other things that will relax you. And here's something I always like to tell people, go have an orgasm and tell me you're craving cheesecake now. You won't, (laughs) right? Because you're (laughs) already in that awe state. You know what I'm saying? Your brain is already sort of in that sort of potent, satisfied place. If you go take a hot Epsom salt bath, if you take a nap, if you go for a walk, if you get a massage, typically that brain craving will go away. Um, And so it's a really interesting thing to think about. We now know that cortisol, when you think cortisol, think C, think C for cortisol and C for cravings. The two are probably linked, partly because cortisol decreases the motivation in the centers in the brain, upregulates the reward centers in the brain also has some negative consequences on blood sugar management. And it's probably either correlated, we don't know for sure if it's causing, but we know it's highly correlated with cravings, stresses. And so we need to manage that. And of course, there's some overlap between hunger and cravings. But I would say if you want a quick clinical pearl, hunger, protein, fiber, water, things like soups, salads, scrambles, shakes, and stir fries. I tend to think of those those foods. Those are the things you want to eat for, for hunger management. For cravings, you want sex and physical affection. You want massage and meditation. You want um, stretching and relaxation. You want sleep and naps. You want all that kind of stuff for cravings.
1: If if you're making love the right way, you're hitting all, you're checking all those boxes. (laughs) Absolutely you are absolutely and you know it's funny i use that because you're we, getting a nap
0: you're getting everything <laughs> you're getting a meditative
1: <laughs> tantric experience physical activity
0: and, and we laugh about it we laugh about it anthony but everyone knows that right like you're, you're craving a cheesecake you go have sex you're gonna not be craving that cheesecake anymore you will be satiated
1: that tells you a little bit about cravings we may have something here we'll call it yeah, the, sex, absolutely. the sex diet we'll write it together we'll be embarrassed about the name <laughs> Anytime someone feels like they're going to go off their diet and have a cheesecake, they're, they're ordered to immediately run and have sex. You must have an orgasm now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, hey, Will we be happy with that title 10 years from now is the question. <laughs> I don't know. I've mixed emotions about it. I do too. I, do too. I don't co-authoring know. co-authoring it with a man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have a girl's name, bro. I'm just saying. So you might be able to get by on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people people make assumptions. Oh, all right, nice. Um, what, uh, uh, rapid Fire, a couple of your favorite protein sources.
0: Well, whey protein is fantastic because it lowers cortisol and it raises serotonin levels. So it, can, it, having- it has... A- Yeah, if you can, but I mean, honestly, all the studies have been done on just standard old whey that's not grass-fed and not organic, and it works. So obviously, if you can afford to grass-fed and organic, get it. I like to use that stuff. If not, just get it on board. It hits hunger and cravings because of some of the brain chemistry effects. So whey is really one of my favorites. If you don't like whey or you're a vegan, pea protein has similar properties in hunger management. Casein is probably the better dairy protein for hunger, but I like whey because it has some brain chemistry craving effects. Pea protein and casein are probably the two most satiating of the the protein powders, if you want hunger suppression long-term. After that, I really like the very lean, and I know this is controversial in today's day and age, but I like the lean, clean, protein sources chicken steak lean versions and here's why not that i'm anti-fat fat's fantastic i just Very want few the clients i work are with like
1: super pro fat look yeah. awesome a lot of the guys that are like jacked and pretty lean they're still yeah. following certain components of the bodybuilder principles from back in the agreed. day agreed agreed
0: they tend to follow a low, a moderate carbohydrate, low fat diet, or a low carb and low fat diet, and a higher protein diet as a proportion of macronutrients. And they are the leanest people on the planet. Yep. And so I agree with you. You know, people who do a whole lot of fat don't look nearly like bodybuilders, and they 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 just don't eat the same either. So I like I like lean and clean protein sources, and then what I like to do is add enough fat, but not too much fat, in the form of some of those things we like, and some you know egg yolks. Uh, coconut oil, um, you know, olives, uh, avocados, you add enough, but not too much. So by, by keeping your protein lean and adding in vegetable, good quality vegetable fats, instead of having a big fatty piece of meat. I like to do that because it allows me to be a better metabolic detective, a better biohacker. Wouldn't it be nice to know how protein affects you versus how fat affects you and how much fat you need and how much fat is too much? It's very difficult to overeat protein, but some of us, as you said, Ed, can overeat fat no problem. And that can become an issue.
1: It's Yeah. I mean, if you think about just the math, one... <clears throat> What is it? One gram of protein, one gram of carbohydrate, four calories, one gram of fat, nine calories, yeah. right? So when we're adding fat to fucking everything, and then, and that's our main macronutrient, one of those underlying principles, assume, assuming healthy hormonal balance, if you want to lose weight, is creating a calorie deficit. Doesn't mean you, you can't can, spike you have calories and like you know yeah. reset your thyroid hormone and every anything any of these things that can be downregulated if you're too chronically um, in in a caloric deficit. But if you're eating fat, it's easy to a, a few too many nuts, calorie neutral, calorie surplus. It's much harder to yeah. do if you're like, all right, I'm going to get my fat as a byproduct of my protein selection, and I'm going but I'm going to intentionally choose lean meats for right now.
0: Yeah there's no question about that and the research is very clear on this. So any of the keto folks which I'm not anti keto and I'm anti fat. I love. I'm 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 a diet eclectic. Just what use it when it works for you. I like it all. It, there's a there's a time and place for everything. But if you're one of these people who's unsure about this, just go look in the research and take your bias and dogma out of it and just go look objectively at the research. You will see fat by itself is the least satiating macronutrient there's some debate about carbs that's because carbs come with fiber and some carbs don't so some studies will show carbs the least satiating um, versus fat but protein is far and away better than fat when we're talking about single macronutrients the other thing about um, fat is it is the least thermogenic macronutrient proteins the most and so it is the easiest to be stored and the least likely to fill you up And so if you're going to use fat, what you want to do is add enough of it to your protein to make your protein that much more satiating rather than, in my opinion, um, trying to load up on fat. Now, of course, one of the principles of metabolism, one of my key laws is that is the idea of individuality, which is a lot of what you do. You know, this whole idea of biohacking secrets and things like that is. Individualizing your approach. Yeah. So, yes, you're going to find some people who do much better on fat, but to extrapolate your individual experience to everybody on the planet is not something you should ever do. That's what research tries to help us do. And what research tells us is that your N of one experiment of you doing well on fat does not translate into the population as a whole. The population as a whole tends to do better on a higher protein diet that is very clear there is absolutely no debate anywhere among the people who are actually reading the research none on this point so if you're still on the camp that fat is satiating just admit it's for you it might be but not across the board and I think that's an important piece to look at and here's again this is what we talked about at the beginning right conventional versus your black white gray we're talking gray right now
1: yeah. The very the self-evident truth has become that there is no one-size-fits-all diet. That's why 95% of people, even if they're on a great nutrition program and a great workout program, they're not going to be able to lose 10% of their body weight, which is not a lot. We're talking about someone who weighs 200 pounds losing 20 pounds and then keeping yeah. that off for a year. That, that doesn't seem particularly difficult but it's it's not happening 95% of the time and it's why we see people going from vegan to paleo to keto to you know I'm probably going in reverse order now but like south beach diet and Atkins. and it's we we have to determine the right diet for us and it will never ever ever be one of these <laughs> you know you're you're sort of trying to fit a square peg into a, a round hole by saying you must adhere to the dietary principles in one specific diet, regardless of what it is. It's not gonna be the re- the perfect diet for you, ever.
0: Yeah, you you said that beautifully. I love the way you put that. And and wouldn't it be nice, Anthony, if we got to the place now where instead of going into the next fad diet, and I and then by the way, I call it a fad not because they don't work. I'm not you know keto works great in some people, fasting works fantastic in some people. I just call it a fad because they try to extrapolate to the whole the whole of society, which doesn't work. But wouldn't it be great if the next quote fad was the do what works for you diet? And we really start focusing on becoming a metabolic detective or a biohacker, you know, to, you know, I'm using those synonymously and we work to understand ourselves. So we go to someone like Jade or Anthony and we say, Hey, I know what they're doing and they're giving me tools to figure out what I can do that might work for me. You know, maybe Jade does great on a lower fat, higher protein, moderate carbohydrate diet for the most part but I've learned that fat really is what works for me. And so I'm going to do that. And so for me, I'm like, absolutely. There's one rule of nutrition. Do what works for you. But in order to do what works for you, you have to begin to learn to view dieting differently as a process, not a protocol. It's not a recipe. It's not a cookbook. It's not something you can go get off the shelf. It's a process of discovery? What keeps my hunger and my energy and cravings in check day to day and hour to hour? What at the end of the week when I'm including it or not including it results in fat loss? What kind of diet and exercise program makes my blood sugars and my, um, uh, blood pressure and my blood labs healthy when I go see the doctor. If if your hunger, energy, craving, sleep, mood, exercise performance, exercise recovery, libido, and all of that stuff is vital, all these sort of biofeedback tools. And you're losing fat. And your bio and your sort of blood labs and vitals are healthy, then that is the right diet for you, whether or not you're eating Skittles and Donuts and Snickers bars. Then that's the right diet for you. Now I know Anthony and I would say that's gonna be almost impossible probably we would we would put our money that no one's going to eat a diet like that and be able to achieve those three things but if you could i would look at you and say well it's working for you your hunger energy and cravings in check you're maintaining a low body fat or achieving it and your, all your vitals are healthy, that's my measure for what's a successful diet. That could be high fat, that could be low fat, that could be moderate protein, that could be high protein, that could be very rich with lots of refined white rice, like in the Asian cultures, or it might be pasta
1: in the Mediterranean culture. Do what works for you. I'm loving it. So before we go into the rapid fire round with Dr. Jade Tita, let's check out some awesome biohacks from this show's sponsors. This episode is also brought to you by Optimizers and the Biohacking Secrets Upgraded Digestion Package. So if any of you guys are dealing with suboptimal digestion, characterized by gas, bloating, your stomach feeling distended or like it's sticking out after certain meals, if you get sluggish, if you deal with constipation or diarrhea, you're going to want to pay attention because it usually comes down to one of three things being off. The first is low stomach acid production, the second is low enzyme production, and the third is gut dis- Dysbiosis, meaning you have too many of the quote unquote bad bugs in your gut and not enough of the good ones. And the Buy Optimizers Biohacking Secrets Upgraded Digestion Package addresses all of these root causes of suboptimal digestion. It's the best value you could possibly get if you're looking to take 30 days and turn your digestion completely around. And you can get that for just 177 bucks. It's usually 270 bucks by going to buyoptimizers.com forward slash biohacks that's b-i-o-p-t-i-m-i-z-e-r-s.com forward slash b-i-o-h-a-c-k-s to check out the exclusive biohacking secrets upgraded digestion package for just 177 bucks today and we're back with dr jade tita getting ready for the rapid fire round you ready brother i'm ready i'm ready <laughs> what movie book or podcast episode changed your life
0: uh, you know, um, The Matrix is my favorite movie, and I think it actually goes into Matrix 1, not, the, not 2 and 3. Those, those are not my favorite. But The Matrix, this idea that you're living in a world that is a false world, that your perception is completely different in this whole other world out there, I think is really useful for us, especially those of you who are coaches. And get stuck in this world of I'm stuck in the keto zone or the paleo zone or whatever. We've just been talking about this, right? There's a whole other world beyond what you think you know, and you need to be open to that. So the Matrix to me is is a, really a
1: metaphor for life for sure, and I love that that movie. Did you hear Elon on Rogan recently say this? Nah. this all this all may be augmented reality.
0: <laughs> Did he really? It's <laughs> I mean that's what I'm saying. I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe we're going to wake up and they're going to be an alien pulling something out of the back of our heads and had to enjoy the ride. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> What's your definition of healthy?
0: Definition of healthy is exactly what we talked about. Actually, you are hunger, energy, cravings are in check. You can do the things you want. You feel vital and functional and on point mentally. You are maintaining and achieve or and or achieving a low body fat percent, I would say somewhere around the low twenties to high teens for women, and somewhere around the middle teens to you know 10% at you know for men, and that your vitals, blood sugars, blood labs, kidney and liver function are all sort of normal. To me, that is how I determine that I'm living a healthy life. And one other piece, you can have all of that. And still feel empty inside if you don't have a direction and a purpose, a reason that you're here on the planet. It's not about being seen. It's not about making a ton of, ton, ton of money. To me, it's about what you are doing for other people that when you leave this planet will make the world
1: a better place. To me, that is how I see it. I dig. I dig. Good stuff. What's one product you can't live without besides your phone or computer and like, you know, the Internet? <laughs> yeah, you know
0: that's it yeah, that's tough now, right? So if you go, in, I, I would say um, in the realm of food, it's probably a, a whey protein supplement. I am a convenience-based guy, and I need to have something that will quickly shut down hunger because I'm one of these dudes who will go on a ravenous rampage of eating if I don't um, have that. Um, in terms of, I use a lot of tech stuff, so if we're not talking tech, I think the next thing that I'd probably say is. Um, Probably a sauna or something like that. I've been without it, uh, you know, here, uh, for the last couple months, I moved to a new place in LA and I just dig sauna therapy. It's my, one of my number one relaxation things. And, um, it just keeps my body feeling good. I love the warmth of that. I can't really do without that. And I'm struggling
1: right now because I don't have it in my life. I hear you, man. I did. I did 35 minutes on the stairs and then 15 minutes meditating in the sauna and then a cold plunge right before we jumped on and the sauna plus meditation. And then you come home, shower, and then I do a cold plunge in the 16 cubic foot Home Depot freezer out back. I feel like a million bucks. What kind of sauna do you you have?
0: yeah so i have the nordic sauna it's a two-person it fits right in my thing i just got rid of it and um but it's a it's a infrared and i loved it and it's just been a staple and i do the same thing um i oftentimes fill up my bathtub with ice water and or if like in i I live in both places north carolina and la so i'm back in north North carolina the shower water is freezing but here in la the groundwater is too warm to do a cold you know sort of blast and so here i gotta set up my um, my tub with ice in it, if I'm going to do the cold plunge, but I love that back
1: and forth contrast hydrotherapy. Nice. Yeah. Me too. What, what's your go-to whey protein powder or brand?
0: I, I use, I have my
1: own product that I use
0: called creating uh craving shake. That's a meal replacement and it's a New Zealand grass fed whey base with, oh, there you, um, go. you know, yeah. So I use that one. Um, I also have another one with the, the another company that I work called, um, it's a, a grass-fed protein. It's a metabolic super protein from Metabolic Living, which is, um, I use as well, those two.
1: Nice. We'll link to those in the show notes, and uh, I'll, I'll have to check those out. Last one. How do you get motivated and stay motivated? Yeah.
0: You know, that's never been a tough thing for me, actually. Um, but I'll tell you one practice that I've done. I, I tend to stay motivated and driven. Um, but one thing that I have done is I have this saying that I use. Some people say, rise to the occasion. And what I say is, it's better to create the occasion. So I have started to create sort of these, what I call fear PRs in my life. So, you know, like a PR in the gym, right? If I can do 500 on deadlift, you know, 510 would be my personal record, right? Well, a fear PR is doing things that um, are a little bit uncomfortable, whether it be traveling or doing snowboarding for the first time, if you haven't done it, or even holding a snake, if you don't like snakes or anything like that, that sort of gets you out of your comfort zone. And so no oh, go joke. Have and I know
1: an orgasm. I'm going to have an orgasm while I have a
0: snake around my neck or something. Yeah. Right? It's, it's like doing things that um are uncomfortable and different that i feel like overflow into my life believe it or not this is something that i actually um do I've, again i've been out of this you know how we go through things that work for us and then, th- and then we somehow move away from them as i've moved to-, to los angeles my new pace in la it's been a couple months since i've been doing stuff like that but that's typically what i do oftentimes it shows up in the gym you know, where I'm just like, I got to, you know, get this sort of actual PR. That's why I think a lot of us like training, but I also do a lot of stuff in planning, planning trips where, you know, I'm going to go like, for instance, this year, in the last couple of years, I've been um, looking at conquering my fear of the ocean. So I've been scuba diving. I've been, I went, uh, you know, to, went out about, you know, 400 yards off the coast at Cabo and went swimming in the ocean for, you know, and doing stuff like that, that just is, that really messes with my head, man, you know? So that kind of stuff just uh, it's, it's what keeps me living in a sense. So creating these occasions where I can be in a little bit of fear.
1: Have you seen Spielberg's Jaws?
0: Uh, dude, Jaws is terrifying, man. That's probably changed. Every, it probably is the reason I'm afraid of the ocean today. I think it is.
1: <laughs> I think, it's it's what what I'm not think it is for a lot of people's generation. Like most people are afraid of the ocean. Yeah, and you I don't want to watch that, that movie. Dude, I put that on when when my ex-girlfriend and I had moved to Del Rey a few weeks into us living here. I had her watch that. And even though it was done like in the 7 late 70s or like early 80s, something like that, she was screaming in the living room, terrified. The next day we're walking to the beach and there's a a young couple shark swims right by him at delray beach there has not been a shark attack here in 15 years right and that was like some weird anomaly of a of a lifeguard swimming too far out and he like put his hand in a shark's mouth and got a little cut up the next day everything slows down you see this mom running out of the water the dad picks up the little kid and he's running out she's screaming shark shark like just like out of the movie And my ex-girlfriend's looking at me like, is this really happening? And I drop my stuff and I run over there. And the guy's like, oh, it's a foot and a half dorsal fin on this tiger shark. He's like, huge fish, probably a, you know, know, eight 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 foot fish. And I was like, I couldn't believe it, dude. And I mean, there was no way where she wasn't getting in the water for like weeks. It still took me a few days to get back used to it. Anyway, that's that's the little. Yeah, that's, that's scary. Funny. That thing was right in to the surf too, huh? Right? Yeah. See. Yeah. I'm with you. The timing to. was just weird, weird, so coincidental. It was, it was eerie. Um, last bit. Tell us a little bit about the metabolic effect diet. What's, what's, what's that got going for it?
0: Well, that that was my first book, and the way to think about that is, it's we all need. If you're gonna if you're gonna tell someone, do what works for you. Humans still need some certainty, don't they? They're just like, I don't like that because that's trial and error. So they need some structure. And so the metabolic effect diet was my first take at structure. If you're a complete beginner to metabolism and weight loss, this was really about... Doing some of the things that we know can teach you about food and teach you about your body. So, the metabolic effect diet really stratifies people into three different metabolic types. Now, of course, we know there's no such thing as three different metabolic types, there's infinite metabolic types. However, it's useful when you're doing writing a book to get people put people into a box as a starting point that then helps them find their individual type. So, that's what the metabolic effect diet my first book sort of did my second book lose weight here brought that one step further and said okay you kind of gave you a structure now we're going to teach you how to be um sort of the metabolic detective and that's the approach that i typically use across the board and everything i do is this structured flexibility approach we start you with structure because we know the human brain needs it and then we teach you hey you're meant to tweak, adjust change sleuth like a detective so that you can fit this to yourself it's like my boy bruce lee says absorb what is useful discard what is not add what is uniquely your own so every program that i build every book that i write usually starts with a structure and then teaches people how to adjust that structure based on their physiology their psychology and their personal preferences and so that's what my books and my work tend to do and i think that's You know, it's not perfect yet, but as we all start to move in this direction of the do what works for you diet, um, this is my approach to it. Start with a structure, become flexible within that. Slowly but surely, you begin to approach what works best for you. And then, of course, we know the metabolism changes. So once you find what works for you, it will inevitably change through life stages and things like that. But that's not a problem because hopefully you learn the process of discovering what works for you. And you just repeat the process instead of doing what most people do, which is find a diet that stops working, find another diet that stops working, try to find another diet that stops working. Instead, what we're doing is saying here, let's start with structure, flexibility, teach you this process. And then it's learning to fish instead of being given a fish. And that's my approach with pretty much every piece of work
1: that I've done. Dr. Jade Tita, this has been awesome. For people listening who want to stay up to date with things you're working on and cool stuff coming out, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Yeah, you can go to my website, jadetita.com, but uh, probably the best place right now, we're all hanging out on Instagram currently. So at Tita on Instagram, definitely follow me there. And I definitely try to do my best to answer DMs and things like that. So if you want to DM me and ask a quick question, as long as it's not super in depth, I'll try to accommodate you. But I'd say at Jade Tita on Instagram and then my website, jdita.com.
1: And we will link to those along with the metabolic effect and lose weight here. For all you guys hanging out, all you biohackers, this is Anthony DiClemente and Dr. Jade Tita reminding you, don't just treat the symptoms, find the root cause, and you too can have superhuman health. Thanks a bunch. This episode of the Biohacking Secret Show is also brought to you by the Organifi Biohacker Bundle. Organifi makes the best-selling greens juice on the market, but they also make an incredible gold juice that I drink almost every night before bed. A red juice that's loaded with antioxidants and phytonutrients and a really delicious vegan protein. So we created the BioHacker Bundle as a way for you to get all of their best selling products the same way that I take them on a daily basis. I do the greens in the morning, I do the red in the afternoon as a little pick-me-up. I use the protein post-workout, and I do the gold at night before bed to help wind down and decrease inflammation from the day so that I feel more cool, calm, and collected going into a deep, restful night's sleep. I love the Biohacker Bundle. It's, a, it's been a game changer for me, and if you guys want to check it out, we've hooked you up with a nice discount on all of those products. To get it, you go to Organifi.com forward slash Biohacks. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Biohacks now.